James is about to enter into one of the many, many confrontations, if you please, by which he spoke and wrote when the book of James was written. In James 1, 26 and 27, he talks about what, what religion is, what true religion is. And chapter 2 continues that whole thought of what true religion is. He's talking about confronting the culture with your understanding of what the Bible teaches. The world and the culture have a completely different view of life and living as you and I are beginning to find out now. <laughs> I had to laugh. My wife didn't even understand what I was doing when I said this. Lady Gaga just gave herself a ring to propose to herself. Ladies and gentlemen, we have taken leave of our senses. She's proposing to herself, and the reason she's pro proposing to herself is because she wants to live in a world where nobody tells her what to do, where she has control over everything. And I could just go to China and tell her, China got rid of all the missionaries in 1949 because the Communist Party said we don't want anybody, any foreign god to, to control our people. <laughs> the communist leader about six months ago came up with some, some stringent views of his own power, his own importance, where he controls everything, every thought of what's going on in China. And by the way, with this virus, it took a while before they said to the world, outside world, help. They're beginning to find out now that we can, God gives us so much rope until we hang ourselves. And this is what is happening. Someone who says that they're proposing to him, to herself, I don't know what else is, is going to come out. Has nothing to do with the message, but I thought it might be interesting. James is, is, is speaking about discrimination. Uh, and, and, and friends, I want us to make one correction here. In, in our world, whenever this word discrimination comes up, we usually, usually think of blacks and white. But discrimination exists in more ways than just those two uh, people, distinctions. Baseball players are now beginning to get a little bit annoyed at the Latino players because they are taking over baseball. And, and we can go on. So I don't want us to think in terms of blacks and whites because James will begin by talking not about blacks and whites but about rich and poor. Talking about a man who comes into the, into the church with, with uh, rings. And you know, one of the things I discovered that in Rome during this time, you were able to go to a, a jewelry store and, and rent rings to go to a meeting. So, so you walk into church with rented rings, and people say, ah. Oh. 
My sister attended a church in a state which I have decided not to mention. <laughs> Only because now we're, we're here in the internet somewhere and somebody might hear this and I might jeopardize my sister. But the front seat for certain people coming into the service, they had ushers who those seats were saved for those people. They did not have gold rings, but they had other things. Other things that were valued by which they were given distinctions because of those things. And, and so James is, is going to break down all the barriers we have set up among people, between people, for people. And he's going to speak in a way that he will bring it from the general to the specific. So, so, so he begins this way. My brethren. He's speaking to people who are distinctively a unique people by relationships. My brethren. This is the audience to whom he is speaking. In other words, my friends, if you please, he's speaking to the church. It's amazing that James in that day could say that, that people behave that way. I want to begin with the foundation because the mistake I think we have made is that oftentimes when we speak of a problem, we tend to speak about the cure or the answer to the problem. And whenever we begin with the, ans the, the, the answer, we forget the cause. And that's why it keeps repeating itself over and over and over again. James wants to tell us how to prevent what is the reason? What is behind? That's why we have James 1, 26 and 27, where he talks about what, what true religion is. And you remember in verse 27, it says, True religion keeps itself unspotted from the world, from the culture, from that which dictates to you how you ought to feel, how you ought to think. And so I want to begin by sharing just two thoughts from James chapter 2 and verse 1. And look at the audience to whom he's speaking. And he addresses them relationally. My brethren. By using the words my brethren, he is sharing someone who has a common origin with him. Literally from the Greek, it is coming from the same womb. But we're not talking so much about that this morning because we want to talk as James is going to talk about the father, the father of those who are brothers. We, 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 we begin, and, and people will say this sometimes, have you not heard them? That God is the father of us all. Well, that's only half the truth. Because God created all men. But God is specifically the father of those who have come to be rebirthed in the name of Jesus. They are his brothers. When Paul is talking to the Galatians, he said, be good to all men, especially to those 
who are of the household of faith. And so by, by calling them brothers, he's saying something. By the way, the word also means sisters, by the way. Just in case you're, you're thinking, James 2.15 tells us that, and 1 Corinthians 9.5 tells us that. Paul talks about some translation I know in 1 Corinthians 9 does not use the word sisters, but I think the original is uh, sisters. So when Paul is talking about Phoebe, Phoebe who was a worker in the church, Paul said, be kind to our sister. Well, she was not related to Paul physically, but she was related to Paul redemptively, as we shall see in, in a moment. So, so what do we mean then by this idea of being related to? Is that every Christian is related to every other Christian. You know, when I first became a Christian, in, 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 in the people that I used to be around, they would relate to other, others as brother. How are you today, Brother Winston? <laughs> How are you today, sister? And, and, and they were serious about that. They, they, they were relating as to their relatedness as a result of something that happened. The dignity of every human being is this. Every human being has been created in the likeness of God. No matter who they are. No matter what station they are in life. And having ten gold rings should not make me more important to a congregation. What should make me important to a congregation is the same thing that makes that congregation important to me. We come from the same parental origin. God is the father of us all and through us all. This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6. God is the father and Christ is the elder brother. This, 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 this whole idea, Christ is the elder brother, is that he is the son of God who came into the world to redeem men and women from the culture of the world and making them sons and daughters of God. We do not become sons and daughters of God by who we are, but by repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, whose blood was shed for that purpose. So they were relating as belonging to the same family. But they were related because of being regenerated by the same source. And I have to go to the text for this. I have to go to Ephesians chapter 2 before I get back to James chapter 2. Ephesians 2, 14 to 18. Please listen as I read. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing walls of hostility by abolishing the laws of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one, one new man. It's a great phrase. One new man. In place of the two, that is, Jews and Gentiles. That's how they were known before. You're a Jew, you're a Gentile. 
And if you read the history of how the Gentiles thought of the Jews and the Jews thought of the Gentiles, you will know that they didn't want anything to do with one another. Then he goes on. This is Ephesians 2. And he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, thereby, listen now, killing the hostility. The, the, the thing in us, namely sin, in us that caused hostility between people and in people, when Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood, he destroyed the power of sin in your life and mine. And what James wants us to understand, lots of people think that James contradicts Paul. No, he doesn't. He's saying, if you have been redeemed, if you have been brought into communion with God, then you will begin to look differently, not only on yourself, but on others who are a part of God's family. The price that has been paid for our unity is the blood of Jesus. And by his blood, he killed the hostility. I, I met with a young man this past week, and he was, uh, uh, he was tell, sharing with me some problems that he has as a young man, and he was quite concerned about this. A very dedicated young man. And I shared with him something I learned as he shared with me the grip that this thing seems to have on his life. And I said to him, my friend, please understand what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teaches that you have died to sin, but not sin dying to you. You have died to it, but not it to you. Paul says, even though I am redeemed, Yet I have thoughts that I don't like. I do things I don't want to do. The things I want to do, I don't do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And in verse 1 of Romans 8, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We died because Christ killed the thing. So we, we, we can say, this thing has no more control over me even though it might come to seek control. Uh, by the way, this is what God said to, to Cain in chapter 4 of Genesis, after he killed Abel. When Cain was distraught because of the, the sentence of death upon him, God said to, to, to Cain, if you, would, if you would repent, you would not go through what you're going through. Sin is crouching at your door, and it is seeking control over you. Up to that point, Cain was still free to make the choice, but he didn't want to. So what I'm getting at, my friends, is that as a Christian, we have been brought into a relationship that makes it possible for us to reject or to refuse any claim of sin and Satan on our lives so that we are free to choose what God wants us to, to choose and we become people who practice righteousness. Salvation is not only the forgiveness of our sins. It is the beginning of the process by which sin 
that separated us is removed in its power in order that we might enter into a new relationship with another, namely Christ. That's the one in whom we have a relationship. There is no power on earth that can make people love other than the love of Christ that has been shed in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I borrow this line from John Piper. The bloodline of Jesus Christ is deeper than the bloodline of our races. The death and resurrection of the Son of God for sinners is the only sufficient power to bring bloodlines into one. And that bloodline is the blood of the cross. That's where it is. And I'm saying this, I'm laboring this, friends, because of this. See, if we try to figure out why people can't get together, let's have a tongue meeting. And we're going to talk about, uh, you know what, we're going, to, we're going to build a beautiful park for them. Uh, we're going to put baseball diamonds, and we're going to put basketball nets, and, 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 and we are going to make sure, uh, Dale Moody puts it perhaps the best way. He said, we send our children to universities so that they will become educated and not steal people's wheels off their bicycles. He used the word train. He said when they come out of university, they not only steal the bicycle wheels, they steal the bicycle. <laughs> because, my friends, you cannot change people by creeds. You cannot change people by developing program to help them. Because there's something in the human heart called sin that controls each and every unbeliever. They are slaves to it. They can't help themselves. But you and I, having been brought into the kingdom of God by receiving Christ as Savior, as trusting Him as our Lord, we are placed into a new environment called the church or the family of God. And so you can call me brother if you want to. I can call you brother if I want to because that's what we are. But we're not making belief here. Something has happened within us so that when we address one another as brothers or as sisters, there's something that says, yes, you are. Yes, I am. That's the power of the cross. Jesus Christ broke down every hostility. That's what James is saying. Because he has done this. This is why we should be able to understand to deal with things in a different light than the world sees it. Uh, you know, I, I keep saying this and I, I really mean it. This is not a political statement. But you notice as, as the... the, the, the uh, the present debate between the Democratic candidates is getting smaller and smaller. They're becoming more vicious than anything to, to the other ones. All of a sudden, Bernie sees Mayor from uh, Pete, sees him as a threat, and he sees Bernie as a threat, and, and it goes on. See, now they are all, all, all of a sudden, they're becoming competitors. 
competitors. And my friends, that kind of competition should never be found in the church. Because in the church, we do not come to compete with one another. We come to celebrate our oneness. We come to say at the, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. And as a result, we do not deal with people from their backgrounds. No matter who they are. In fact, this young man I was sharing with, I didn't know that he's from Indonesia. And, and as I shared with him, he's, you know, he shared some, some, some things that I said that was meaningful to him. And so uh, it was interesting because I, did, I thought he was from Mexico. That's the kind of complexion he has. It's, it's like me when I moved to Toronto. Somebody moved, walked up to me and started, uh, I don't know if they had visited Africa or something, and they started to talk to me in a language I never heard before. And I said, um, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't understand. Oh, you're not from, no, I'm not. I'm from, you know. You know, friends, I, I want to say something here because it's so important. As I studied this text, I came to this conclusion. In relationships, it is not what we do for others. It is how we think of others. I can do something for you and have a, 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 a terrible attitude toward you. Jonah preached the gospel to the Ninevites, but he hated them. It is possible to do something good and yet have a very, very sinful attitude. Well, let's look at the address. That is the lecture, if you please, that he gave to the audience. The audience was a redeemed one. Paul had to rebuke Peter because Peter was not following what James was saying. Let's look first of all at the subject the subject. What was he talking about? He called them tenderly and sincerely. My brethren, do not hold. Now, your translation might have the word your faith. That is really not, I don't want to say the word, but the better word is do not hold the faith. Not your faith. Because he's going to show us that the faith we have is not something that we have concocted by ourselves, for ourselves, to ourselves. So he said, do not hold the faith. The faith. Now what is he talking about? He's not talking about our belief to receive Jesus. The word faith as it is used here is talking about that whole revelation Truths that has come to us by way of revelation. It is, the, it is the content of what we believe. So he said, the faith that you are supposed to have does not belong to you. It relates to something, uh, to someone higher than you are. We shall see that in a minute. The, the, the word means uh, to have a persuasion of the truth as it is found in Jesus. This faith is, is, is more than just 
information, it's revelation. And in that faith, you have been given everything you need to know about origin, about meaning, about morality, and about destiny. That's what the faith does. It is the, the subject is, is that whole body of truth we believe. And you know, as I studied this text, and I don't need to, to tell you how long, but a long time going over that one word, I have come to the conclusion it was said by someone else, and I now believe it. The greatest, the greatest weapon in the world is not the atomic bomb. The greatest weapon in the world is the truth. The truth. Because, my friends, what the truth does, true truth relates to God, relates to me, relates to others. The atomic bomb only relates to my enemies. But truth liberates, as we read from John 8. So, so what, 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 is, what is James saying there? He said, faith is not a human construct. It is a reasonable trust which reckons, which reckons confidently that which has been revealed through Jesus Christ. This faith, this faith we're talking about, is, is, is the body of truth to which we, we believe. St. Paul puts it this way. The life that I now live, I live by the faith, the content of what was revealed. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the subject is faith. Him right, I was thinking of this as well as I was studying. My faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever-living one person. I trust the ever-living one. That's what faith is. It is belief, but it is what I believe. And James is saying, do not hold the faith captive. Do not bring from the culture from which you have been redeemed. Don't bring into the family of God the behavior of the culture from which Jesus Christ has released you by dying to bring release to you. Do not hold it that way. So this is the substance of his faith. It is not yours. It is revelation. By the way, in the postmodern world, the concern, or the post-truth world as it's called, the concern is not whether truth exists or not, but whether I agree with it or not. If I don't agree with it, big deal. James brings a warning, and here's where the text gets its substance from. Don't take the standards of the world and apply it to your behavior in the church. Now, James is getting really, really personal here. Some translation says, Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, by showing favoritism. Favoritism. 
Why? Because Deuteronomy 1.17 says that with God, there is no favoritism. The word that they use there in Deuteronomy 1.17 is partiality. God does not show partiality. And interestingly enough, this word that is used in the Hebrew for partiality is to lift up the face. God does not cause another to lift his face because of the value put on them or your face to be lifted up because of the value put on your face. I mean, James is getting really where you and I live. Favoritism is to choose someone over another because of the face, because of how many rings they have on. We'll explain that more later on. When the word partiality is used, it is saying, I have distinctions in spite of what the blood of Jesus Christ has done. I have my reasons for being partial. Let me give you five texts dealing with this. Why we cannot hold our, the faith in distinction. Acts 10.34. Acts 10.34. God doesn't show partiality. Number one. And, and by the way, our text, Philipp, um, James 2, is talking about social discrimination. But in, in the second one, Romans 2.11 is talking about ethnic discrimination. God shows partiality to no one, neither Jew nor Greek. Romans 2.11. God does not show partiality to people because of their face. Three. There is, and here's this one, there is no partiality in heaven where God is. Ephesians 6, 9, there is no partiality in heaven. But I think that verse 9 of our text gives us the greatest reason why we cannot behave this way in church. In a word, it is sinful. That's not my thought. That's James 2, 9. And if this sin is not in God, how can we take it and bring it into God's people? If God is our Father, and if there's no sin in God, we must not act sinfully and expect God to ignore it. I heard Dr. Steve Norford several, several years ago made this statement that God will not condone in the saints what he condemns in the sinner. Think that one through. So the word came to us. And we believe the word. And we're told that we are not, we're not to make the church look just like the world. Oh, friends, I, I hate, my heart grieves, my heart hurts when I can tell you of things I have read. I've read, I've read of missionaries who have come back from several parts of the world 
when the, the national from that world would come to where they're living, they would not talk to them because there was this behavior in the church. I, I can tell you of a young lady I read about just recent, well, in studying Brooke Prentice is an aboriginal from, from uh, Australia. And she talks about in 1876 or 1867 when Britain brought all the prisoners and others in there and what they did to the aboriginal people there. It, it must break your heart if you have to read that. And as I listened to the interview that was had with Brooke, the interviewer asked her, didn't they bring the Bible with them? And I want you to hear what she said. They brought the Bible, but they did not bring Jesus. They brought the Bible. See, the Bible can be used for whatever you want it to be used for. But if it's, if it's true religion, if it's redemptive religion, we are going to begin to think God's thoughts after him. And if God shows no partiality because of gold rings or because of pigmentation, then, my friends, I do not because it, it's bringing God down to where he did not go. Biblical faith is not a system I try to obey. It is a response to the person who has redeemed me. Biblical faith releases me from human systems so that I can live in a way that is pleasing to God. Listen to, listen to Paul in Colossians 3.1. Now that you have been redeemed, think your thoughts in God, God's direction. Don't think your thoughts from here. You are now a citizen of heaven. Think your thoughts from God's point of view, where Christ sits at the right hand of God. My life comes from above, where there's no partiality, and if I bring partiality into the kingdom of God, I am bringing a foreign object. In closing, he gives to us the wealth, the wealth of our faith. Friends, we have a faith that it's just beyond anything anybody can ever think about. Listen to what he says. Do not hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ with showing favoritism to people. And look what he, he puts it. He said, first of all, he is Lord. He is Lord. The word Lord means to be inherently supreme. Jesus Christ is not, his, his, his authority is, does not come from outside of himself. He is Lord. He speaks because he is God. Two, the name Jesus is the name of his incarnation by which he came to deliver us from the perils of sin. What sin has done to us, Jesus Christ undid on the cross. Three, Christ. Word means Messiah. Very few people have an, an understanding of what, the, what that word means. When Christ, the word Christ is, is the, the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah, we call it Christ, or the anointed one. 
the anointed one. Anointing was a means by which one was, was, was set apart for a special purpose. And when we talk about Messiah, we're talking about the divine appearance on earth as one who comes to fulfill prophecy given by God. That's what a Messiah is. He's a savior. He fulfills prophecy. He's anointed by God for the purpose for which he came into the world. But listen to what he says. He is the Lord of glory. Friends, I am not exaggerating. I spent almost a half a day trying to understand what that means. Because a lot of theologians don't. You should see the amount of ink that has been used writing of what it means. If some, I say the Lord of glory. Some of your translation have our glorious Lord. And, and, and you can just imagine, what does it mean? He's the Lord of glory. Listen. Glory is the private, exquisite, magnificent of the majesty and the sovereignty of God. We see glimpses of that glory. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. But, but listen, John said when Jesus came into the world, we saw the glory of God. If he is the Lord of glory, he is the supreme expression of who God is. And with him there is no partiality. So that this God, this Christ, who comes into the world to bring to me, to bring to those who trust in him a life, a quality of life that belongs to glory. Don't bring the decaying practice of culture into that which is eternally magnificent. That's what he's saying. That's the wealth of our faith. Let me close with this. The brightness of the glory, the glory, the term glory is used here in the widest sense as being the radiant fullness of the excellencies of God and as including all the splendor of his nature and character. Human glory is vain and transient. The divine is substantial and eternal. Listen, friends. Listen to what Jesus said as he's getting ready to go to the cross. He's praying to his Father in heaven and he said, Father, the glory you have given to me or that I have with you, I have given to these, the disciples, that they might be one, just as you and I are one. You see the wealth of our faith, friends? Our faith comes out of God's revelation of himself. So, so wonderful, so rich is this. That when that glory is displayed among the family of God, the world looks on and say, where does that come from?
And we answer, our citizenship is in heaven. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, what, what a wealth we have in our faith. It's not something we believe. It's someone we believe. And, and, and that faith opens to us a door, a splendor we never knew possible. Oh, God, I pray that everyone who has listened intently or intensively to this word this morning will leave this, this place with the prayer like the woman at the well. Give me this faith, Lord, so that I will never think of others the way I used to think before. I now think of them after God's own thought of them. Take a moment, friends, as we come to the end of the service. Has God spoken to you? Do you know this faith? Does it make a difference to you that you can think differently? Because you have the truth. Lord, whatever you have spoken, may we hear. And in hearing, respond. So that we might be the people of God. Walking in the light as he's in the light. Displaying your glory for the world to see and admire and ask the questions about it. And may our response be only one. Our citizenship is in heaven. In Jesus' name.